Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Hello again, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. It is hump day. And in Florida State, it's hump week, if you will, because it's exam week, which means uh, we have no games to speak of. So I don't know how we're going to kill the next hour. KJ, you got any suggestions? Uh, Maybe we should uh, do a review session for some class that someone has a final in. What do you think? Well, since you are an adjunct over there, I guess it'll be something involving my, risk management. If we're going to do mine was Monday morning. We're done. You're done. Okay, so you're you're officially uh, you're on winter break then. Congratulations! No, no, I got to grade all this crap. Oh, okay. So now, yeah, and you got to turn it in by next Tuesday, or you get fined. Right? Exactly. Yeah. All right. So there you go. Happy uh, happy day, everybody. Tom and Keith with you. We got a, a good show lined up. Uh, David Hale from ESPN will join us next segment. He gives uh, really good, he'll give some really good perspective. Uh, both nationally and he covers the ACC, uh, but he expands beyond just Florida State, which is the kind of the, the fiefdom or the world that we live in. But Tim Linnefelt will uh, join us as well. Obviously, the bowl matchups are set. FSU is playing uh, in Atlanta in the Peach Bowl, which is a great bowl, great atmosphere, great environment. They really do do a good job. It's sponsored by Chick-fil-A. So speaking from a media standpoint, if you like Chick-fil-A sandwiches, you get one about every time you turn around which uh, that free plug there. If Chick-fil-A would like to sponsor the front row, just give us a call and uh, we'll we'll work that out. But uh, so all that is good. Fans are not overly enthused about Houston, especially because that matchup comes a couple years after Florida State drew Northern Illinois in the Orange Bowl. And you look like you want to say something. No, I was just saying, uh, you know, the Houston, uh, and I'll probably say this three or four more times, Houston is a good ball club. This is not a game that Florida State can just go out there, throw their hats on the field, and win, regardless of what our fans think. But the angst has nothing to do with that. To me, it has to do with... It's all about what can you gain, what can you lose. And regardless of that point, Florida State's the favorite. They're ranked 9, 10, 11 places higher than Houston, whatever it is. But they're only a six-point favorite. But I'm just saying, you to me, the, the reason for that angst, and I'm not, I agree with you, Houston's a good team. And this is the, this is the world we live in now. You're now going to have these group this of five teams. This is New York so, six, uh, New Year's Day six bowl. That's as big as you can get. Where else would Florida State want to go? You want to travel to f- the Fiesta Bowl? You know, you want well, this, to travel? So, so this is the reality of it. And you could see this coming a month ago when you looked at the matchups. To me, the best matchup for Florida State would have been the Tax Slayer Bowl game, the old Gator Bowl, which is January 2nd. It would have been the fourth tier, really, for an ACC team this year. Clemson in the playoff, North Carolina in the New Year's Six, whoever you put in Orlando, and then FSU at which there really wasn't a scenario where FSU would have been fourth and go to Jacksonville, but it would have been the third tier, uh, kind of the worst in terms of prestige, but you would have potentially played LSU or Georgia, which there would have been a lot of excitement about name brand. The second best matchup would have been the Russell Athletic Bowl because you would have played a Big 12 team, North Carolina's playing Baylor, and I think people would have been interested in that, especially given that, that FSU folks don't have a lot of great things to say about Art Bryles. Um, but that game's December 27th, so it's it's not as marquee or not in the New Plus Year's Plus, you're going to be there in the spring, and you're going to be there to open the season next year. But once you get past all this and you're two, three, four, five, twenty 20 years removed and you pull out the media guide and you look at it and you say, you know, FSU played 
in the BCS National Championship game. Then they were in a playoff. Then they were in a New Year's Six Bowl. And you start checking that off because down the line, historically, how many New Year's Six Bowls have you played in will be a marquee thing. And so it's significant to play in this one. It's just that the opponent is lackluster from a prestige standpoint, not from a what they have on the field, which Let you're going to share. Let me give you a number or two. Offensively, share. offensively, Tom Herman, their coach, who he and Jimbo evidently had a love fest going on on the on the, on call. the conference call. Wow. He was the offensive coordinator at Ohio State when they won the national championship. He's the Browles uh, award winner. Okay. Broils, excuse me. Broils or Wolverine. Yeah, let's not mix up Browls and Broils. Well, you mentioned art, so I had to <laughs> I know, but that's a pretty big faux pas right there. Uh, I apologize. The Art Briles Award two, goes to one. The Art Briles Award goes to somebody who's got a scowl on their face oh. and is a little dismissive of other opponents. And, I'm not, yeah, and doesn't listen when other coaches call them about the prior history of players they accept on their team. Oh, did I say that out loud? You did. Go ahead. I'm now. sorry. This Cougar offense averages fourteen point six points a ball game. 486 yards. 14.6? 44. 40.6. Okay, I was going to say. You got me all messed up here, I know. Am I going to be able to make the hour? Are we going to have to re-cue the show for a second time in the same segment? Go ahead. Am I going to make the hour? 40.6 points. 486 yards total offense, of which 239 come via the rush, 247 via the pass. This is a team that will roll Florida State if Florida State doesn't prepare pay attention to the process, show up in Atlanta and play. Then what are you going to say if you get beat by 21? Well, then the argument will be, well, we weren't motivated because we weren't playing a... a Is it a game? I... I'm just speak. I'm Keith. I totally agree with you there. I, you don't have to sell me on the fact that Houston as a club is 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 a quality team Plus, and deserving of being in here and being where they are, and uh, and all of that. Plus, I'm just I'm speaking. Th- th- this I is the reason for the fans. Actually. I understand, and 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 fans have a right to feel the way they feel. But my goodness, Atlanta is a great trip. You can drive it. Uh, it's on New Year's Eve. So you can play the ball game, and then you can do whatever you want New Year's Eve night. You can watch the other games. You can go out. There's going to be a whole lot going on in Atlanta. I mean, I I, I think it is a great bowl matchup and a great bowl to be traveling to. I'll go ahead and put in another free commercial plug to a non-sponsor since I was just up there this past weekend with you for the basketball game. But the Block family was at Stone Mountain. They have snow tubing. If your kids are of the right age, we had a good time, good weekend. You could I, I want to. We even saw Santa Claus, and and, and we'll talk about this later w- with Tim. But if you talk bowl environments to me, you know you can't top New Orleans, where everybody <clears throat> it's literally stumbling distance because it's New Orleans. But you're all within a few block area in the French Quarter. Um, you know, I, I happened to be in San Antonio one time in conjunction with the Alamo Bowl. I wasn't there for the Alamo Bowl, but it was Ohio State and Oklahoma State, and you couldn't move on the Riverwalk without passing a Buckeye or a Cowboy. I imagine that's a tremendous atmosphere. I, I fell on Charlotte's that, pretty I good. I fell on that river one time. I'll tell you that story another time. <laughs> well, no, you can't say you fell in the river at the Riverwalk and then say you're going to tell us another time. Yeah, I can't. So tell us the story now. <laughs> I fell in the river. You, you fell in the river. I fell in the river, and I can't swim. So one of the boys that's with me dove in after me because he thought he had to save me, and and then we both stood up because it's only three feet deep. <laughs> and hopefully your friend's not paralyzed from diving into three feet of water there in that river. Well, he jumped in after me. Okay. Put it that way. All right. Wow. Well, I wasn't going to let you off, though. We're not going to bury that story. All right. 
Keith Jones Adventures at the Riverwalk. I was with you in Alaska one time when you almost broke your neck. Wall. Yeah, you fell off a wall there. That's a, well, that, that story we will tell later. Well, you almost went to a boxing match. I did. And we're not going to tell that story. <laughs> no, no, we're not. We're not because I'm married now and this is a family show. All right. That said, here's something that has nothing to do with anything. But I, I don't remember if I got this in last week. I know we did at the time. So, And we're, we're going to talk about the coaches that have landed in the ACC and the SEC. Uh, later in the show but you remember when steve spurrier did i talk about this last week i've I've had this spurrier quit thing i, I know we've brought up a time or two you're gonna have to give me more if you want me to remember well he quit on his team in the middle of the season right. on monday of vanderbilt week because he didn't want a vandy loss on his ledger do you recall this yes yes and the sec media said oh no this is the best thing to do for the team because now south carolina can get their ducks in a row and they can get a jump start on the head coach they're going to land and they'll be much better off than anybody else do you remember all this yes 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 and then as it turned out where was south carolina when it came time to choose a coach at the end of the line, and who did they choose as a coach? A former. A, a, well, a former coach that didn't doesn't have a, a very good track record as a head coach. And made a horse's tail of himself on the sideline during a particular ball And this game really isn't recent. about Will Muschamp. This is more about Spurrier getting a free pass for quitting on his team, and I just felt like somebody needed to point it out now that we've come full circle on this. Well, and it's the second time he's quit because he quit on Florida as well. And I do think we talked about that then. Anyway, I'm just I'm just bringing it up that nobody's revisiting this conversation now. Is South Carolina in better shape right now than Virginia Tech, where its coach, whether he quit or was forced out or retired, decided to do so in the middle of the season and stayed for the remainder of the season, and Virginia Tech landed the hottest young coach in college football as their head coach right now. Agreed. Right? Agreed. So I'm just, you know, I just wanted to point you that out. you feel better? I do feel better. Much better. I still can't believe you fell in the river at the river walk, though. <laughs> I did. I, I hate to ask, but but was was that just walking or was that stumbling? No, I, I had. I, it was totally walking, and I just completely misstepped, <laughs> and and I went. Good lord! Well, I guess it's a good thing there's no river that runs through the middle of Tallahassee here, even though uh, we now have water over at Cascades Park. Well, you should see how nervous Nancy or Nancy. <laughs> Man, now you're really in trouble. You should see how nervous Kathleen gets when I walk around the pool. You want to share who Nancy is? I have no idea who Nancy is. <laughs> this show has rapidly, uh, oh boy. All right. Did I mention earlier if I could make it through the hour? <laughs> wow. We've got two minutes left in this segment. So you're on board with the Houston match. I, I do think it'll be I, I, really I, do. I do think it'll be an interesting matchup. And, uh, and I think it'll State- be an unbelievably entertaining ball game. I think what the what the nation is going to see, because Florida State being a power and being a draw, people are going to tune in, just see what's going on with the Knowles. They're going to, need to get exposed to this Houston offense, which can really move the football. And I think when everything's said and done, this might end up being one of the more entertaining bowl games of any of them in terms of non-biased fans, you know, non-Florida State, non-Houston fans, just tuning into a ball game and watching two teams play. Uh, Because I'm of the opinion for a lot of reasons that this Florida State squad will get ready to play. And I think Houston's going to take advantage of the opportunity on the big stage. And I just think it's going to be a good ball. You know what I'm excited about? A healthy Dalvin Cook. Do you remember what that looked like? I I, I mean, how many games ago was that? where? Remember USF where he was just pinballing off of guys and pulling away from everybody? We haven't seen that. I mean, I'm looking would, forward to that. I would just be excited to see that last gear because we have not seen his have, last his high Yeah, he's kind of gotten stuck, and it hasn't yep. been able to get to the high and, gear. And he is something to watch when he not only bursts, 
but then hits that afterburner. And it's a healthy Dalvin Cook with that chip on his shoulder because he's not in New York this weekend. Which is a whole other discussion that, that we'll just... Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so uh, coming up on the show, as I mentioned, uh, David Hale will join us. Uh, also, Tim Linnefeld. I should point out uh, as we go to break that uh, Madison Social uh, is kind enough to be a big part of the show uh, each and every week. We, we thank you for that. Holiday shopping will be a theme in here. Uh, Matt Thompson has put together a pint glass collection that's uh, that's epic. If you're, if you're a Madison Social fan, you know what it is. But there, there's the We Own You, Trust the Process, number five pick, number one, which is uh, for Jameis, and the three-time state champs is the latest one in the ledger. So go to Madison Social. I think you have until uh, this weekend to take care of that. And if you need another reason to go to Madison Social, the, the Leonard Hamilton call-in show starts this week. Tonight. Tonight. There you go. Wander on down there and see what coach has to say. Always brings a player with him so you get an opportunity to meet and talk with one of the kids. And should you pass a river along the way, just be careful not to misstep. Stay wide left. All right. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We're just getting cranked up here on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Tom and Keith with you, and we will continue our college football conversation now as uh we had to negotiate this with, with Jeff Cameron, but he was willing to give us a pass here as we were uh, stealing some of his thunders. David Hale from uh, ESPN joins us. Uh, David, I told Jeff the check was in the mail, so I think we're good there. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. I, ho- I hope it didn't bankrupt you. I'm sure it was a, a tense negotiation. But, it, it, it was uh, very, happy it, to come on with you. Yeah, no, we appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we had Jared Shanker on last week, and uh, he couldn't give me a definitive title for what his role is, and I failed to ask you in advance. So, <laughs> so go ahead and tell us what your business card says. Uh, I think uh, angry Twitter persona, I believe, is what's on my uh, business card now. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on that. Well, that, I think, that'll I think match that's mine. My role. That'll match mine. Mine is curmudgeon radio host. <laughs> I, I didn't know that the radio host came after the curmudgeon. I thought it was just curmudgeon. <laughs> All right, David Hale, for those. They just took the curmudgeon uh, business cards and added that to the end. I yes. Well, well that, the last part was printed in. Yeah. <laughs> for those who don't know, and uh, I'm sure most of you probably do who follow college football, David Hale does a great job on uh, ESPN uh, following the ACC and college football as a whole. And, uh, you know, kind of a broad uh discussion here i guess there's a lot to talk about in the next next few minutes we'll get into the heisman a little bit the college football playoff fsu getting screwed again in the minds of its fans and that they're playing houston in this bowl game which i'm sure being the heel homer that you are you'll tell me that north carolina fans (laughs) feel like they're completely screwed that they're playing in orlando but uh let's start let's start big picture are you uh are you happy with how this process played out and the four teams that are in the playoff and the way the committee uh you know put it together this year I think, once again, the four best teams are in the playoff, and I thought that last year. Now, last year, the committee had to make some impactful decisions in order to get that to happen. This year, they sort of fell right into it. I mean, there was I don't think there's a single person out there who's questioning who the top four teams or at least the four most deserving teams were. So this was an easy call for them. Uh, if you want to you know, complain about the teams that come – further down that list and how that impacts the new year six. I've heard plenty of that complaining, but I'd much rather have that debate and have that be something that we're not sure about than be not sure about that top four. Now, 
if you're a Clemson fan or if you're in the long line of Alabama conspiracy theorists, uh, you probably are very happy to point out that isn't it interesting that Oklahoma is number four instead of number three now and, and doesn't have to go to Dallas, which is a de facto home game for them, and, and Alabama doesn't have to play a spread offense. They get to play a more traditional you know, uh, pro-style offense that they never seem to have any problem with and, and isn't that convenient. Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily all a legit uh, complaint. I do think, though, that the committee probably had in mind, let's not make Alabama play a team that is playing, you know, an hour and a half or so from home in, in its as a higher-ranked seed, I, and I get that. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, you've got four teams that deserve to be there with a chance to win a national title if they keep winning, and I think that's exactly what the playoff was supposed to be. David, as we we uh, narrow it down a little bit, uh, ACC has three squads in the top ten in Clemson, Florida State, and North Carolina. Compare this year versus last year in terms of what you feel like the perception is. Has the ACC risen in the public's perception a little bit as a football conference? You know, I think smart people, it has, because you can look and see that, that there's really elite programs there. So, but so I that pretty much it, narrows the audience to the, the three of us and Tom Lang on the other side of the glass. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that, that largely the national perception is still exactly what it is. That you know, I, I, for whatever reason, the ACC tends to get defined more by Virginia, Syracuse, Boston College, Wake Forest than it does North Carolina, and Miami, and Pittsburgh, and Florida State, and Clemson. And I don't know why that is because that. You know, if you apply that same logic to the Big 12, for example, the bottom of the Big 12 is garbage. But that whole conference gets defined by the three teams at the top. The bottom of the SEC is really bad with Kentucky and and Vanderbilt, too. But it gets defined by the teams at the top and and maybe a little bit in the middle. Um, The bottom of the Big 10 is really bad, too. But it gets defined by those teams at the top. The ACC seems to be the one conference that that logic does not apply to. I, I have a and, I have a theory on that, David, a little bit, and it, you know, the ACC because it overlaps geographically with the SEC. I, you know, I think there's more of a point of comparison there among the fans. But it, to me, the uh, the fandom of the SEC. In other words, every time you turn on an SEC game, it's ninety thousand fans, and they've been tailgating since last year. And then you turn on a Duke game, and there's 30,000 people there, or a Wake Forest game, or a Boston College game, or a Syracuse game, or pick the bottom half of the ACC in terms of attendance, and the immediate thought is, well, this isn't a good product, and and it's based on nothing that has to do with what's going on between the lines. It's based on the atmosphere around it. You think there's any merit to that? I I completely agree with you, and I think, you know, when you start talking geography, I think you're really onto something there, because those other three conferences get to sort of exist in their own bubble, whereas the ACC is always essentially being directly compared to the SEC. And and you're right, when it comes to attention and fan devotion and all of that, there's no way the ACC is consistently winning that argument. I mean, I was at the, the Clemson-South Carolina game and the regular season, and it was not the most stellar crowd in the world, but there was still more... South Carolina fans at williams Bryce for that game for a terrible South Carolina team than there are at any Duke game for a really good Duke team when Duke is good. So that's essentially the battle that you're always going to be, be fighting. 
And I think, you know, there's really no way for the ACC to win that. There's just a level of, of passion and history at some of these SEC schools that doesn't exist in the ACC everywhere. But, you know, again, by that same token, I don't know that there's a better game day environment than Clemson has. I, you know, I've been to a couple of Virginia Tech games this year, and, and holy cow, you know, the opener against Ohio State or Beamer's last game, those are legit college football environments. So, you know, look, does the, you know, does, does, uh, UVA have a bunch of cowbells that make a lot of noise, so they get credit for that? No, and that's unfortunate. But um, I don't think, as you said, I don't think it necessarily is a variance in the quality of the product. Look, the, the SEC does get a lot of really good recruits, does a lot of guys to the NFL, but look at the numbers, and so does the ACC. Well, and we see that same bias. Uh, I'd be interested in your opinion. I know you've run some numbers on this. We've seen the same bias in some of the awards, particularly the Heisman, with uh, Cook not being amongst the top three in New York this weekend. Yeah, and look, I've <laughs> I beat the drum for that for about as long as I could. And the bottom line, you know, I covered Major League Baseball for a while, and I knew a lot of the Hall of Fame voters, and, and some of them were really smart and took their jobs really seriously, and some of them were out to push their own agenda on every vote, and some of them just filled out a ballot without even – really giving much thought to it and that's just sort of how voting goes when you open up the process to people who aren't following a specific example of this is how it's supposed to be done so i don't see how anyone can do their homework and say that that dalvin cook is not among the most elite players in the country i don't see how anyone can do uh you know can be completely objective and not bringing in a bunch of off-field suppositions and say that Dalvin Cook doesn't belong there. But to be fair, I, I mean, I heard from voters who said Deshaun Watson had no business being at the Heisman, that he's not even one of the top five quarterbacks in the country this year. I mean, these are from people who are otherwise supposedly thoughtful, educated people who cover college football who are supposed to be watching the games, and I just don't know how you can watch Dalvin Cook or Deshaun Watson and come to those conclusions. So the fact of the matter is, is I think that some people are never going to agree on – what you know they'd rather take your total yards rather than uh look at what you've done in individual games and they'd rather take uh you know your total number of touchdowns rather than look at look one system asks you to do this and the other system asks you to do that it's there's not a lot of nuance put into these discussions a lot of times or or if you have a team um, with two or three losses you're therefore no longer eligible to be considered and and that's the other way that this this award has gone, and and I'd even be almost okay with that with Dalvin if if that standard was being applied. But Stanford had two losses exactly. in the playoff too, exactly. and McCaffrey's there. And and not only that, it's not just the highs. I mean, look, there is a lot of competition for that this year. I mean, I think very good players like Baker Mayfield, another one that are not going to be in New York, that probably deserve to be there. Leonard Fournette, while his season kind of unraveled as LSU's did is still the most talented guy on the field on any given day and he's not there so look it was it was a lot of competition for the Heisman but the fact that that Dalvin isn't even showing up on like second team All-America list as a running back that he's not there in you know for the for the college football awards for top running back that is just people not doing their homework that is people uh who are following whatever the conventional narrative is. And, and part of it, it's kind of like with politics. You know, I think a, a candidate gets a narrative surrounding them, and that narrative tends to, to blossom. It builds upon itself. 
And Dalvin, the narrative just never really started for Dalvin. You know, we talked about Leonard Fournette for forever, and, and it, by the end of September it was, hey, should he even be back next year? Should he just sit out the year because he's so good he doesn't even need to play anymore? And, and when that started to fade, then – you know, Derrick Henry's narrative rose up. And when that started to fade a little bit, Christian McCaffrey's rose up. And, and Dalvin has sort of been a victim of the fact that his narrative never really caught on because he had plenty of games where if there had already been a little bit of buzz surrounding him, that game, I think, would have inflamed that buzz and everybody would have been talking about it. But it just never really started. Let me ask you that you're not a, you're not a Heisman voter, are you, David? No. Uh-uh. So you can tell us how you would have voted. So how would you have voted? And before I before you answer that, I will say I, I have no idea what the vote looks like. But other than spending a couple thousand dollars more to pay for flights and, and bringing a few more candidates to New York, why in the world they don't have seven guys there this week? Because there's a ton of worthy candidates. I mean, what would be yeah. the downside of that? But that that said, how would you have voted? And to your point, you know, the one guy who I would have loved to have seen there perhaps more than anybody else is Keenan Reynolds at Navy. I mean, if you talk about a guy who who who's not going to win it but deserves a chance to be there and bask in that spotlight. No question. They put, no they, question. They put Jordan Lynch there a couple of years ago who was a very similar case, and I just don't understand how you don't take that opportunity to do that for, for a guy who has certainly given a lot more to college football than just what he's done on the field. But anyway, I digress from that. My, my uh, ballot, I think, and, and I really ha- would have had a lot of trouble filling this out, to be quite honest with you, but I think the three best players, in my mind, the, the three players who probably impacted the game the most, impacted their teams the most this year, were Deshaun Watson, Dalvin Cook, and Christian McCaffrey. Uh, because I think they all did it in a number of different ways. I think they did it for teams that did not have a whole lot else they can rely on. Um, look, I, you know, I think what Derrick Henry has done this year is impressive, and there is something to be said for the durability of, of getting that many carries and continuing to, to have success. And, and his, his yards per carry numbers actually went up as the year went along, which is saying something. But, I mean, to me, there's a, there's a value in that, but it's not the same as just, you know, you can take a lot of big bruising backs and just run them into the A-gap 30 times a game, and they're going to compile some numbers. You know, the, the MVP of that Alabama team is that defensive front, which is as good as there is in the country. That's what's made the difference for Alabama. If I'm looking at Florida State, though, I mean, they've got five losses, I think, minimum if you don't have Dalvin Cook out there. And and the, and the games that, that they did lose, particularly the Clemson game, the only reason that Florida State was in that game was because of Dalvin Cook. And, you know, I, again, I look at Deshaun Watson, and have, he his numbers are, he's a much different style of player than Jameis Winston was. But following him this year reminds me so much of following uh, that Jameis Winston team in 2013 at Florida State. He's just he brings a different level of confidence and leadership to the huddle that any normal quarterback brings. And I'm talking about other good quarterbacks. Todd Boyd was a very good quarterback, but did not bring to this team what Deshaun Watson did. It's, it, to me, it's very similar to that EJ Manuel and Jameis Winston situation. There's just been games where Deshaun has put that team on his back and willed them to win football games. He's so difficult for defenses to adjust to because of what he can do with his, his legs as well as his arm. He's been as good a deep ball passer this year as anyone in the country, and he's done it after his best deep ball receiver got hurt in the first game. So to me, I think he clearly belongs there. And then, you know, McCaffrey, I, I don't think McCaffrey is this, uh, you know, uh, uh, elevated talent that is so much better than everybody else, but he's really good at a lot of different things, and he can impact the game so many different ways. 
whether it's as a, a receiver or a runner. I mean, he's even thrown a touchdown and what he does in the return game. Um, we just, especially in this day and age where you don't want to put your best guys out there to get hurt too often. Um, he's a guy who's out there doing whatever he has to do to win football games. And I, so I, I would have him too. I think I truly do think, and, and maybe this is me being a little bit of spending too much time on the ACC and not the rest of the country, but I think there's a very fair argument that Dalvin and Deshaun are probably the two most impactful players in the country this year. Well, you've absolutely made the case for why Derrick Henry's going to win the Heisman on Saturday night, David. So we appreciate <laughs> that insight on that. Hey, listen, this this is really good insight overall, and uh, we're, we're going to cut it off here. Although there's a, there's a lot more directions I could go with this. I do have some homework for you though, since your employer is the one that runs the award show tomorrow night. Can we at least let all the other awards, like the Doak Walker, instead of choosing the finalists before rivalry weekend, can they wait until? after the regular season and championship games and then cast the votes for who the top three in the country are at the position? I am at a loss to understand. And there's plenty of Heisman voters who just decided they were mailing in their ballots two weeks ago, too. I don't get it. We, we, we're not living in the 1970s where you've got to find your mailman and send your ballot off in the mail anymore. And we don't uh, count it by hand anymore. Got at the last minute. Yeah, I don't know. So, so work on that. Talk, talk to Mister ESPN and see what we can come up with for next year. Uh, I will put in a word. Although, again, I think my opinion will directly impact the opposite happens. So, <laughs> I, I understand, and I can relate completely. David, thanks for your insight. No problem. Good to have you. <laughs> thanks for having hey, me. Yeah. with you. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having us, Dave. Appreciate it. That's David Hale from uh, ESPN, uh, and you can see KJ. He's he's got good insight and good perspective. He's been in a lot of different places. Hold that thought. We got to go to break. We'll come back and react to it right after this. This is the front row. <laughs> Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. has been holding that thought so long he's he's basically out of breath as he bites his tongue here so go ahead react to that conversation with david well, Hale. No, the, the thing i was just saying about david he, he's so good we got to make sure we get him back on we just we can't give him enough time he just doesn't have enough time we could call him stuff. up and then just leave i'm just probably talk yeah but he has access and you you talked about this uh to to the metrics that espen can put together in fact you alerted me and showed me uh, what i'm fixing to speak to but it, it just is amazing to me. They've gotten the metrics where they've looked at the up-tempo offenses versus your standard rate of offense. And basically, up-tempo offenses don't do as well as regular offenses do. In other words, doing that up-tempo doesn't result in a better product. All it results in is your opponent getting the ball two, three, or four times more in possessions, and your defensive coordinator's quitting on you. So, so this hurry up, running ninety plays a game is not all that it's made out to be, and and David can prove it. Well, the the number, and uh, this is just earlier today that he was tweeting this in Power Five versus Power Five games. The ten slowest offenses were a combined fifty four and forty four, which is a fifty five percent winning percentage. The ten fastest were forty six and forty seven which is 49.5%. It, it is interesting. There you go. It is interesting, and that speaks to narratives and faster must be better, that kind of thing. You have perspective on this, uh, not to get too far into this, but you know when Kevin Steele was the defensive coordinator at Clemson, 
and Chad Morris was offensive coordinator. They started going up tempo. Well, Kevin Steele doesn't come from that. He he's not a subscriber to that philosophy. So he hated the fact that his defense was out there all the time. Well, guess what? His defense got shellacked by West West Virginia. He's can you say seventy? He's now coaching in the SEC. Still at LSU, since Les Miles is still at LSU. But who did Dabo go get to coach his defense, and what kind of system did he come from? He got Brett Venables, who had been at Oklahoma, where they'd been playing tempo. Exactly. And and, and that's really become a subcategory. Who are the defensive coordinators that don't mind the offense going up-tempo? And that list is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. In my opinion, it's interesting. Yeah, I, w- I don't think we're prepared to go down this this whole road of up tempo versus uh, you know more traditional or slower tempo. But it is it is interesting the the metrics that, that David pulled up, and he did this year. Um, his if his political uh, or his platform, I should say, if he was running for college football guru this year, was basically Dalvin Cook's the best running back out there. Should be in New York this weekend. And North Carolina uh, should be in the playoffs if they beat Clemson. If they had beaten Clemson, I mean, he he, he lobbied hard for that and, and worked hard on it last week, and he, and he brings some interesting, uh, very interesting stuff to the to the table. But I, I just thought, you know, going back to the awards stuff, there's a lot of ways, and we talked about this last week. You vote for awards. I've voted for them in the past. There's no good. Re- it's sort of like having a preseason poll. You have a preseason watch list for these awards that just predetermines these thirty guys are on it already. Well, and what? It How also about we does- play half the season and then look at it and say these guys should be on the list? But there's no reason at all you should narrow it to the finalists before the biggest regular season game of the year, and, and then your championship. And games. your your point about when the timing is is good. Your my point about the preseason with the lazy voters. All they do is they look at the preseason and see if somebody worked themselves off. Or if somebody outstanding like the the freshman running back from Pittsburgh emerged that you didn't think about, other than that they just you know kind of fill in the blanks. Um, the whole thing is is what it is. We got to respect it. Uh, you know I don't think uh, Jimbo Fisher. I don't think Florida State faithful would trade Dalvin Cook for for Henry or any or, or any other uh, running back in the country. And when everything's said and done. Hopefully he gains about seventeen hundred more next year, and we're on with it. Well, we're going to talk to Tim Linnefelt in our in our next segment, and uh, I, I want to get to a a thought about this matchup with Houston that that we haven't discussed yet. But but let me first point out that this segment is uh, brought your way by the Flying Bear Great American Grill. As you're out and about Christmas shopping, particularly if you're on the northeast side of town, you need a place to uh, stop and uh, re-energize or perhaps hydrate. Hydrate. Uh, Flying Bear place to go. It is. Uh, locally owned it's got great stuff we're in there often uh, the block family is and uh we do this every week it's in uptown tallahassee one of these days uptown is going to actually be spoken about with uh, great merit the way midtown is downtown college town but can i prove to you i've done my homework there's a first for everything but go ahead things about houston that you didn't know before we talk about football well uh, let's let's save that can no we... man because i already had a thought that i wanted to share here continue what do you say? It's hot. Continue. There's a lot of oil money there. I mean, Continue. What, what, all right. Uh, what I was going to say is that though the, the matchup is not necessarily desirable from a fan standpoint, as evidenced by the fact that, you know, you can get a three-pack of tickets on StubHub pretty dirt cheap right now for that game. I don't think motivation is going to be an issue on the FSU side of the ledger. And I, I was thinking, uh, Dalvin Cook, for one, he's got a little chip on his shoulder that he's not going to be in New York this weekend. Then you got a quarterback who doesn't know if he's going to be the starter next year. So I think McGuire's going to probably take that pretty serious. Then you got nine offensive linemen that fought over five starting jobs this year, and none of those are locked down. So I think they're going to be pretty motivated. You got a senior class that could win 50 games, which has never been done 
for Florida State. I don't know if it's been done in college football over a four-year period. If it has, it's recently, and it's Alabama or Ohio State right now. So, And then you've got Jimbo in the process and all that. So fans may not like it, and that's a discussion we'll have with Tim and, and, and we'll continue. But I don't think from a motivation standpoint, the team is going to have an issue with this thing. And from a micro or macro standpoint, those being the mid-level things, Florida State players are going to turn on that tape and they're going to see this Houston offense and then they're going to see this Houston defense. And trust me, they're going to walk away going, this is a good football team because guess what? This is a good football team. If Florida State doesn't mind its P's and Q's and buy into the process, Florida State will get their butts whipped in Atlanta on the 31st. That's how good this Houston team is. Keith is taking them seriously, folks. We'll talk more about Houston and this matchup with uh, our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, when we come back. Stay with us on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones only on 979 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. It is everybody's favorite segment uh, on the front row each week. Because, I know it's mine. Because Keith and I talk a lot less, and we let our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld, do the uh, talking as uh, we get to this portion of the program. Uh, a twofold reminder that really you can neatly wrap into one. First of all, if you're doing that holiday shopping and you don't want to fight traffic or the mall, you just go to Seminoles, shop.seminoles.com and uh, pick out whatever it is from an FSU memorabilia attire standpoint that you want for that uh, special Seminole in your life. Or perhaps you just use the same website and you purchase your bowl tickets and you make that the holiday gift and you've knocked out, uh, you know, you killed two birds with one stone. Tim, uh, with that said, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? I'm doing uh, I'm doing great as well. I'm, I'm going to be honest, and, and I'm not starting football here. I'm still bummed the way the soccer thing finished up. I think that was uh, – you were up there, weren't you, and Kerry? Yeah, yeah. It that- was really uh, it was really something, man. And, and, and first and foremost, let me say what a really kind of cool experience that was. I'd never been able – to go over the last couple of years because the college cup always takes place uh, the same weekend as the uh, ACC football championship game. So I was usually tied up there, but I got to go and it's just, it's a really neat atmosphere, uh, a cool crowd. Uh, I think every middle school and, and high school girl soccer player uh, on the Eastern seaboard was in attendance. Uh, but you can, it's just kind of a cool celebration uh, of soccer and really everything about it was, was great except for, well, one, the weather was a little bit cold and then two, the uh, the final result on Friday night, I think, was just really more stunning than anything else. So I was stunned. I got the sense that some of the players themselves were a little surprised. Not that they took it for granted, because I don't think they did. It's just one of those games that just didn't go their way, and, and everything had gone their way uh, up until that point for so long. It's almost like they might have forgotten what that feels like, you know? The 50-50s went about 90-10. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we won't we won't spend time breaking down the game, but I do want to tip my cap to Mark Kerkorian and that team because uh, really what they've done on the soccer pitch is every bit the same as what Jimbo and his team have done on the football field over the last few years, and uh, once again proves, as Ohio State knows this week, that it's very hard to repeat uh, in this day and age uh, for for a number of reasons. So as I sort of segue there to football. Um, we knew that, that FSU, by virtue of beating Florida, was in pretty good shape to, to get to a New Year's Six Bowl when we talked last week. As it played out with North Carolina losing, FSU does get a New Year's Six Bowl. And I, I don't think that's insignificant, Tim. I mean, I, when you look back at the last four years for this football program, 
you've gone Orange Bowl, uh, you know, BCS National Championship game, Rose Bowl, and now the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, which is going to have the same uh, cachet to it because it's a New Year's Six Bowl as, as this goes on. So I, I'll start there. It's uh, there, there are worse problems in the world than FSU being in a New Year's Six Bowl right now. No, absolutely. And, you know, uh, Jimbo Fisher said he had a teleconference on Sunday with Houston's Tom Herman, and he came out and said, look, if you're not going to be in the college football playoffs, these are the games that you want to be in. They're the, the high-profile prestige games. You know, I don't know that I, mean, I don't know that you would say that it's, it's an undercard to the college football playoff, but, it, but in a lot of ways it is. I mean, these are the games that are going to be on that, you know, lead into the main event of the, uh, the I guess it's the Orange Bowl and the Cotton Bowl this year, the semifinals. And, you know, you, you might not be in that main event this year, but you were definitely in the conversation. Uh, well, and, and if you're Florida in, State, in, in that, if that, you're Florida uh, State, Tim, arena, if you will. If you're Florida State, you want to play in that game next year because guess what the Peach Bowl is doing? They're in the semifinals. Exactly. I mean, that, yeah, that's what's we, so frustrating <laughs> to me about some of our fans not appreciating the fact. You guys, Atlanta to Atlanta. Exactly. <laughs> we can do it. Atlanta to Atlanta? Yeah, yeah. We just, just take uh, well, all your see, Dallas to Dallas shirts and cross out the uh, Dallas and ride Atlanta, and we're ready to go. See, I had something with I-4 in mind because we're kicking the season off in Orlando, and the championship game next year is in Tampa. So there's, you know. Oh, there you go. Okay. Some sort of Central Florida slogan that's got to be involved. Once again, there. Tim, he's trying to up us. Have you noticed? Well, this? Atlanta well, to Atlanta works. I mean, I'm sorry, you know guys. Not, not to uh, just you know have our, our whole marketing meeting on the air here, but uh, you know, there's a prominent Florida State football player that also wears the number four on his jersey. So maybe uh, you find something there. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, and, but, uh, and something to. Uh, who maybe has been in said games prior somehow jimbo just called and he wanted to point out that the shelf life of each team is one year and so after the game in atlanta this year this team is done and it's a new team next year so i don't think we can go with atlanta well that's part of the process i I will say this as it relates to this bowl game and uh you guys can both weigh in because you've been to plenty of bowl games to me, the best bowl cities are the ones where you're in a, a confined area, so everywhere that you walk or stumble or whatever the, the proper term is, you see people that are there for the bowl game. And so New Orleans is always uh, great. Um, trying to, Charlotte, actually, great. though I haven't been to a bowl game, Charlotte is really good for the ACC championship game that way. And Atlanta is a really good atmosphere for that because you stay downtown, you can walk to the stadium and do all that. And I guess I'm bringing this up because, and this is not to complain about the Rose Bowl, which is terrific on game day, or the Orange Bowl, but when you go to California or, or South Florida, it's not a bowl experience. It's a great travel trip, but it's a different kind of feel. No, it's way different. I, you know, it was funny. I remember hanging out in the, in the media hotel out in Los Angeles last year, and, and watching you know Sports Center on you know, some of the TVs at all times. And like, all right, yeah, it's time for a college football playoff update. Now let's send it up to the guys in New Orleans, and you know they're all set up in in Jackson Square, and they got you know thousands of people hanging out and cheering, and people hanging from the rafters. It looked like a lot of fun. Uh, and then they said, all right, we'll send it out to the Rose Bowl, and like, oh, here's the side of an empty stadium that's 30 miles away. I was like, yeah, that pretty much sums up the experience. And like you said, uh, on game day, it really is spectacular. But uh, the rest of the time, there's just so much more going on in Los Angeles, and you know, the, 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 the all the events during the week are in downtown Los Angeles, and the games in Pasadena. It just doesn't feel the same. Uh, and compare that to, uh, you know, we actually have been to a, a Chick-fil-A. Well, I guess back then it was a Chick-fil-A Bowl, and now it's a Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl, but. Uh, a really just a, a great event. It was one of my favorite trips uh, that I've been able to, to make during my time covering the team. And uh, it's, it's a good experience, a lot of fun stuff to do down there, a lot of, a lot of cool things in Atlanta. So it, it should be a lot of fun, I think, for the, certainly for the players and the staff, but also for Florida State fans making the trip. There's a, a lot of really fun things to do. 
So in your mind, because uh, and, and and you're more objective as media than obviously the fans are going to be, did, did FSU get hosed by playing the group of six representative here? I don't know. With the caveat of, and, and this is going to sound kind of, of rude, but, but somebody has to, right? Uh, and that's just the way the rules are set up. And, and I don't know, when you look at it, who who do you think, who else would have done it? You know, uh, you know the idea, you know, Florida State is a, is a huge TV draw, draws a national audience, big fan base, uh, and, and they sort of out, outweigh other uh, several other schools in those categories. But two that may, maybe gives Florida State its match, if not eclipses in some, is Ohio State and Notre Dame. They just do. Uh, you know, they're, they're bigger schools, been around longer, have uh, a, a lengthier his, history of football. Uh, you know, the Fiesta Bowl is, with the chance to take Notre Dame and Ohio State, well, that's what they're going to do. Uh, the Sugar Bowl has some tie-ins that they have to take, and so you start going down that list, and now all of a sudden your your options are getting limited. So I don't know if it owes is the word, um, and, I, and I don't think Houston's a bad team by any stretch. Uh, it's just kind of the way it worked out this year, and, and to me, you know, the, the, the positive of playing uh, in the New Year's Six in the Peach Bowl in Atlanta, which is pretty accessible for a lot of people, uh, in my opinion, outweighs any perceived negatives with the opponent. I would agree with I would agree with that. Didn't didn't the Fiesta Bowl have the group of six representative last year? Am I correct in that? Yeah, they uh, they had uh, right. they had so, Boise State. They yeah, so so at that point, yeah, the group of five. I'm calling them group. I can't get I can't get New Year's six. Yeah, I know. Yeah, halves and have nots. Your left foot has five toes. Your right foot has six toes. Just go left and right. The the, the halves and have nots. I mean, what, whatever the term is. So, bottom line is the Fiesta was not going to do that again. Right. Uh, and and it doesn't make a lot of geographic. It makes no geographical sense to send FSU to the Fiesta because honestly, even if FSU was playing Ohio State or Notre Dame in the Fiesta right now, after going out west the last two years, how many fans that are listening here or live in Florida would have put down the money to go to Tempe to see that game? Right. Uh, no, few- I, I agree completely. And don't forget the Dallas trip uh, from last year as well. We spent a lot of time in. Uh, in western time zones for sure yeah so I, west so, of the mississippi and and here and i'll ask this because i think when we look back on this season a couple of years from now uh, at the time there was comparisons made to fsu's loss against georgia tech to the 2012 nc state game and what it you know the way the game unfolded and maybe what it cost fsu ultimately but really even if fsu had beaten georgia tech this year but lost to clemson they weren't going to be in the playoff they might be ranked number six or seven now instead of number nine but I think they'd probably be in the same but bowl scenario. I don't think anything would have changed. Would, would you guys agree with that from where we are right now? Oh, absolutely. And, in fact, I saw a couple folks on Twitter on Sunday uh, after the rankings were released saying, oh, that Georgia Tech loss hurts even worse. And I was like, yeah, I'm not so sure. Uh, I, I don't think the ACC was going to get two teams into the playoff. Certainly, you know, uh, and, and having lost to Clemson, if you're, if you're assuming they go on to lose uh, that Clemson, which I think is a, a fair assumption, uh, yeah, they they have one one less loss, and and you know I'm not saying that that loss is not still disappointing, but the grand scheme of things, it, it kind of amounts to nothing. I still I think if, if FSU were 11 and one with a win over Georgia Tech, they'd still be in the Peach Bowl and they'd still be playing Houston. All right, well let's change gears real quick in our last uh, moments we've got with you, Tim. We're going to lose a defensive coordinator. Doesn't look like it. Doesn't look like it. All the uh, the reports you've seen say that he's uh, he's planning on staying here at Florida State. And, I think that's a pretty pretty smart move. But, you know, the, the the fact is that staff at Auburn is going to be in a pretty high pressure year next year, and and if things don't go well, you could uh, could find yourself in a, in a rather uncomfortable position. Whereas, uh, and I was kind of looking at some of the numbers for a Peach Bowl story, uh, Florida State defense has been outstanding this year. Probably, I think, even better than people have realized. And uh, and so, yeah, ten, why would you not ten point improvement opponent yeah. score? 
Yeah, well, and in, in uh, 30 sacks compared to 17 a year ago, they had fewer touchdowns, fewer yards. Uh, it, it really has been uh, an exceptional year. I think, I think uh, our buddy uh, Brendan Sinone with the Orlando Sun, I think he came up with the stat that the, uh, the last team to not give up more than 24 points in a single season, uh, which Florida State has done this year. The last team to do that was Alabama in 2011, uh, and they won the national title. So, and, you know, if you're if you're Charles Kelly and, and you look at some of the uh, the, the young talents you got here, that Josh Sweats and Derwin James. Uh, and the other guys you're bringing in your recruiting class, uh, you got a pretty good situation here where you're at. Let's ask this. In your um, completely unbiased cover the ACC, cover FSU opinion, now that the the coaching carousel has uh, has stopped and the SEC has you know managed to recycle Will Muschamp and got celebrated for Kirby Smart, who's never been a head coach, and the ACC, meanwhile, has landed Mark Richt and some other hot names – are there better coaches across the board in the ACC than the SEC now? Uh, I think it's a, a much easier argument to make than it's ever been. Uh, I think part of it is just there's so many question marks in the SEC. Everybody thinks a lot of Kirby Smart, and, and there's a good chance that he'll be successful, but we don't know. Uh, compare that to a guy like a Justin Fuente who's had success. Compare that to a Bronco Mendenhall who's had success. Mark Rick, of course, had tremendous success. I then flip back over to South Carolina and Will Muschamp. You know, well, I, I remember thinking Florida hired Will Muschamp. I was like, oh man, you know, that's that's a really great hire. He's going to get them. And, uh, and for a little while there, it looked like he would, and then he just sort of fell off the rails. So, well, and remember you know, too, Auburn basically said that Muschamp was not coming back even before he had actually interviewed for the South Carolina job. He had right, been fired. He had been fired. We win the names. We got Bronco. We got Dabo. We got Jimbo. We win the names. <laughs> If your name ends in O, there's a good chance you can coach in the league, right? Exactly. So, so yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, if you look around, and me more than anything, not even just comparing it to, oh, and, uh, and Syracuse, um, you know, made a big hire as well, too, uh, which, you know, for uh, just to, to be included in that conversation, I think is pretty significant. Dino. Me, it's, 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 yeah, it's another, uh, another big name, uh, another uh, another O name. I, I'm telling you, we're going <laughs> to have to go like the yearbook. We're going to have to redo the logo for the conference now. We've got, to, <laughs> the, we've got some know. potential here. Good call, Tomo. <laughs> <laughs> but, but just the, the idea that the, the league's football schools, or just the league schools in general, are seem to really be committing themselves to football. I mean, I know Florida State you know fans, they might not like it, but you know who, who could Miami have, have gone out and, and hired – better than Mark Richter, or who that we that we know right now would be better than Mark Richter. I don't know if that person exists. Uh, so the fact that all these schools are getting serious about football, Virginia Tech going out and, and you know, they, they got out in front of the coaching carousel and, and, and picked up a guy who I think a lot of people were expecting to be the hot name in coaching, uh, Justin Fuente from Memphis, and, and they got him before the, the carousel even got, got spinning. I think that's really, really impressive, and to me it's an encouraging sign that, that the league and its schools are taking football seriously. You know, uh a question was posed on ESPN yesterday, or there was a story that I, I tweeted about how Miami or, you know, how did Miami land Mark Richt? And I jokingly said, well, because Georgia fired him. But actually, actually, Tim, the real reason that Mark Richt is the head coach at Miami today is the guy seated next to me, Keith Jones, because Keith had an opportunity to bring Mark to Florida State. And I'll let you elaborate on what happened. My freshman year, 1977, Mark was a senior at Boca Raton High School. And on his official visit to Florida State, I, I and Reggie Herring was his ho- were his host. And, and he still signed with Miami. So, obviously, <laughs> it's my fault. So, there you go. Mark <laughs> Rick is the head coach of Miami because of Keith Jones. He wasn't a good when, enough uh, recruiter. 
when Florida State's in, the, in the, a close game in the fourth quarter at Miami next year, we're all going to be looking down at you, Keith, saying thanks a lot. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tim, thank you for joining us as always and uh, sharing some insight uh, with us. You got it, fellas, anytime. Thanks, all right, Tim. That's our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Uh, as I mentioned, get your holiday shopping done at uh, shop.seminoles.com. That holiday shopping could include uh, bowl tickets. Uh, depending on how near and dear that certain Seminole is, and you can buy those on Seminoles.com as well. We'll come back and uh, finish up right after this on the front row. We don't need no thought control. You're listening to The Front Row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at thefrontrow at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. All right, good show today. Uh, good stuff from uh, Tim Linnefelt and David Hale. Uh, we don't have time to fully expound upon this, Keith, but, I, you know, that question we asked David, and, and, and he answered that the perception of the ACC is the same. If Clemson can win two more games, that, that's going to have to change because well, then, then the ACC, on top of all the coaches we just talked about with Tim, will have won two out of the last three. And played in the other one in terms of Florida State having made it last year. To the to the playoffs, yeah. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, the the – we may never be able to change the vast majority of the perception, and I, I loved uh, the comment that was made about you know the intelligent people, uh, you know, including us. Uh, well, understand. if we could get some Duke fans to poison the trees in Chapel Hill, we might reach a whole new level as a conference. I mean, I think that's what we need to do. You really had to go there, didn't I'm sorry. you? Sorry, go ahead, finish your thought. I was just, I, I, I think that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, particularly, honestly, that's what we're talking about. The ACC is not at that level of fandom. Particularly since you've forgotten that, that North Carolina Stadium is in the middle of a pine grove or tree grove. <laughs> well, and actually, it's a beautiful stadium. It is. FSU doesn't play there very much, but it's a Keenan Stadium, it is. a tremendous setting. It is. It was just a joke, folks. I don't advocate that. Can we get back to one of my – I got one trivia question thing, Bob, if you will, about Houston. Okay. That, that I, I stumbled upon. Who is their now current most famous alumni? You mentioned Jim Nance and, and, and Clyde Drexler and Elijah Juan had played and, and uh, the Quaid brothers are from there. But Andre but, Ware. And- Andre Ware. And couples who who designed Southwood, by the way. Um, who is their current Carl Lewis today's their level current. highest profile alumni? It's a country singer, probably. I don't know. Sheldon Cooper. Jim Parsons from the Big Bang Theory. How about that? <laughs> is that the A list? That's the biggest they've got on the A list? In Wildwood. In Wildwood, okay. <laughs> <laughs> We could have we could sit here from now until next week's edition of the front row, and I could throw out names, and I would you never would not have gotten. I would to that not one. have no. We could have done however many hours there is in a week, and 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 I would have not have gotten there. It's this kind of insight you can get nowhere else. No, folks. and for those of you that stayed with us for for the entirety of today's show, boy, are you glad you made that choice? All right, we will do this again next week. He's Keith. I'm Tom, and uh, this is the front row.